We chose somewhat a, rele a relevant topic for, for October as we'll be spending time on this idea, there we go, fear and courage with this scary ass painting that I, uh, I found. I think it's from the 13th century. Yeah. Is that what I wrote in the email? Okay, that's right then. It's a mosaic in Italy um, of the, the devil, basically, eating a man. You see his butt right there. Uh, can you see the butt? There we go. <laughs> so we kick it off today with, uh, we're focusing on fear. Something that I think if we gave a little thought to, we'd see is extremely prevalent in our lives, right? As it's a universal emotion. We've all felt fear. Um, but I would also say that it doesn't feel to me as, as uh, big a part of our public discourse as other things, such as hate or anger or all the isms that we battle uh, from all sides, right? And even though I would say one can make the case that fear is sort of at the core of a lot of those things, right? Why is this? Uh, are you afraid? I don't get asked this question often. I actually can't think of the last time someone asked me, if I was afraid. Uh, maybe there's something that seems childish about it. For an adult being asked that question can hit us as if there is some judgment behind it, right? Um, you're, you're immature or you're weak or you're just a big, big old baby, right? <laughs> I don't know why big old baby is a hilarious phrase to me. Um, but let me lead by example here and say straight up that fear is a big part of my life. There are certain ways that I am ruled by it. For example, I can't watch anything remotely scary. Patrick knows this, my roommate. If he puts on something and I hear that high-pitched, I'm out. I just leave the room. <laughs> Put the headphones on. It's done. I haven't seen a scary movie since The Sixth Sense, which came out in like 96 or something like this. Um, because this stuff, it, 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 it wrecks me, right? Like it's stuff pertaining to the supernatural especially, I have to sleep with the lights on for days, I have to uh, shower with the door open and the shower curtain slightly open. Um, if I have to pee in the middle of the night, there's a, a long process of deliberation. Um, and surely this is all a relic of my upbringing as a, as a charismatic Christian in a Christian church where a war between angels and demons is as real as anything else in the world. And, uh, I've seen people who were possessed in my life. Uh, I've heard insane stories about people's encounters with the devil. One my mother told me that haunts me to this day. There once was a person who was playing with the Ouija board. And they asked the Ouija board, when will I die? And the Ouija board, you know, whatever Ouija boards do, is at 2 a.m. And that night, at 2 a.m., there was a knock on the door. And, and this person looks outside and there is this unknown man on a motorcycle waiting outside. Uh, I mean, it's, yeah, it's weird. Of course it's weird, right? I mean, I, I don't know, actually know how it ends. Um, I can't remember if they die or they pray to Jesus and the motorcycle man takes off. I was gonna, I considered calling my mother and asking her, but I didn't want to hear the story again it was so scary to me. So that is the kind of fear that is the most obvious for me. I have uh, really only one phobia. Um, I'm slightly claustrophobic probably because when I was younger, when I would fight my brother, he would sit on my head. And so there's a lot of, I, I still think about that sometimes. I also have uh, deeply hypochondriac tendencies. I'm sh 
Anybody else out there? Okay. So much so that I've gotten this thing that they, they call burning mouth syndrome. Does anyone know about this? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? Which is when, okay. when you feel like your mouth is burning, but there's no uh, discernible cause. Like you didn't have soup that day or something. It turns out that it's often associated psychosomatic illness in which you are uh, basically like think you have cancer or you're like worried about it and then your mouth does this fear. The other week I was trying to remember the name of Costco. I couldn't, for the life of me, I just sat there, I couldn't remember what it was called. I was like, it used to be called Price Club. It's not Sam's Club. And I just couldn't remember. And then I, and I had to look it up. And then I was very sure that I had early onset Alzheimer's. I spent half an hour uh, Googling, becoming an Alzheimer's uh, expert online. And then I saw that Asians have the lowest rate of Alzheimer's. And, and then I was made, made well again. And I praise, <laughs> praise the Lord that I was yellow. So I hope it feels uh, better maybe for you to hear me talk about this. You are not alone. Um, don't worry. There will be plenty of time, opportunity for you to share your deepest fears at the next welcome table. Um, I'm sure that will be very fun. But even without having to hear each other say these things, we all know that uh, much fear exists for us, right? Uh, ones that are more universal or common, fear of failure, for example of being left or abandoned, economic fears, fears about our careers, what we're gonna do with the rest of our lives, lives, not lies, fears about our government, of course, the state of our democracy, fear about climate change, the end of the world as we know it, fear that we're unlovable, that we may never find someone to be with forever and ever and ever, fear for the ones that we love in our lives, for their safety, for their well-being. I could keep going on and on, but I'll spare it spare you. Um, and sometimes these fears, they come to the surface like a giant zit, you know, uh, whether due to some circumstance that brings them up or maybe you had a, a night of deep insomnia. Uh, but more often than not, they sort of lie underneath the surface for us, right? All of these fears just sort of roiling around like a constant low-grade fever. Uh, unaddressed, if we suppress them, they often also come uh, become anxieties for us, right? And you could very well change all the fears, words, to anxiety, economic anxiety, anxiety about the future of our country and our planet, anxiety about being loved and blah, blah, blah. Again, anxiety is something that we actually do talk a lot about these days. Um, and I'm not sure why, but at first glance, it seems to me something like, you know, this successful in a lot of ways, not totally, but um, better destigmatization of mental health things, right? And, and uh, anxiety is a clinical term in that way. Um, in other words, we've normalized it such that it's, uh, we feel good in talking about it and, and trying to figure it out together. And I think we could do well to do the same with fear. So that's one of the big things we're here to do together, right? Over the course of this series, but also in general, I'm here to confess that I'm scared. I'm fucking scared. A lot of things scare me. Anyone with me on that? Can I get an Amen. Weird thing to say amen to, but we're all scared, amen. All right. But once we begin to say that together, confess that together, we can also collectively begin to speak out against it together, right? And proclaim something different, affirm something stronger, more resilient, more powerful. Uh, during such, uh, when I'm thinking about such topics of existential threat as this, I, I turn to, as I have, you've probably heard me in the past, uh, theologian and pastor, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who is good for this sort of thing because 
amongst many other things, he was a German in the time of the World Wars and ultimately died at the hands of the Nazis. In a sermon in, uh, on fear in 1933, just as the uh, government right before the Nazis came to power was beginning to collapse, he wrote this sermon and he said this, The overcoming of fear, that is what we are proclaiming here. The Bible, the Gospel, Christ, the Church, all are one great battle cry against fear in the lives of human beings. Fear is somehow or, or other the arch enemy itself. It crouches in people's hearts. It hollows out their insights until their resistance and strength are spent and they suddenly break down. Fear secretly gnaws and eats away at all the ties that bind a person to God and to others. And when in a time of need that person reaches for those ties and clings to them, they break and the individual sinks back into himself or herself helpless and despairing while hell rejoices. So that's quite the severe diagnosis, right? Far beyond hypochondria or Ouija boards or childlike cowardice. Fear in a, has this power to destroy us, right? And I think destroy us uh, in many ways, but really at the core of who we are, our fundamental nature, who we were created to be, right? We were not created to be creatures of fear, as the mythology of, of Christianity tells us, uh, but rather, this is my interpretation, I'm not sure a lot of theologians agree with me, but rather we were created to be creatures of infinite creativity and possibility. Uh, beyond those old stories, I, I would guess that a lot of us have felt some taste of this at some point, right? If you uh, ever in your life made a choice or did a thing that you felt somehow freed of fear in that moment and as you were doing it, as it was happening, felt more true to yourself than you ever have before. Uh, another question for the welcome table, think about that if you can't, but that is a taste perhaps of what we were created to be. The writer uh, Marilyn Robinson in an essay about fear which I highly recommend you not read. It's awful, terrible essay. But there is one line that I like, and it says, fear is not a Christian habit of mind. Which is to say, Christianity does not train one to think in terms of fear, or respond with fear, act in fear, right? The church is not a place for fear. The church isn't a place where we should be conjuring it up or using it as a weapon, which happens too often, right? It's best manifestation, the church is a place where fear can become powerless, where the spell is broken. So, take heart. It is I, do not be afraid. Jesus says in our passage today, uh, and for whatever reason, I find that, that phrase incredibly arresting and compelling for me. There's some kind of power there that I'm, I'm looking for, that I feel called by that I feel compelled to search after, right? The disciples, when they see this figure out on the water, they freak out and they're like, holy shit, it's a ghost. Which is a reaction near and dear to my own fears, as I mentioned, right? Uh, stuff of my nightmares. And if you ask me, their, their fear is perfectly valid in that moment. They think it's a ghost. But it is in that moment of total horror um, where all the waves are crashing and the, way, the winds are very unfriendly. These words of Christ have meaning for them. Take heart or have courage, it says in other translations. Do not be afraid. 
And Peter, very much the bro disciple, he comes out and says, basically, prove it. Right? If it's you, let me walk out on the water too. For a moment, he goes out and he, he's able to walk until he looks around, fear takes a hold of him again, and he falls, right? It's tempting to say, I think there's a lot of interpretations of this passage and sermons you might hear would be like, Peter's problem is that he looked around. He should have kept his eyes on the Lord. <laughs> Keep your eyes on the Lord. And you will walk on water, right? Oh, shit. Uh, that's, I don't like that. <laughs> right? Um, we are not made brave by pretending that our fears don't exist, right? And by putting on blinders and plowing on ahead. That's a recipe for anxiety. The winds are real. The storm is real. It's still there, even if you're not looking at it. And Peter knows this, and he begins to sink. Lord, save me. And as Jesus grabs his hand, he says, why did you begin to doubt? And he's like, you had it. You were doing it. You overcame. And then you would just immediately forgot. Immediately forgot. The last of my fears I will confess to you all today, death. You might have noticed that it was conspicuously missing from the list previously, right? And it's a big one, maybe the big one. Whether we feel it or not, it certainly lays, I think, at the foundation of all the rest. But I have not always felt a fear of death. In my 20s, I had a very odd relationship with my mortality. It, um, you know, I had times of deep depression that I talked about here, and in those moments, death seemed like the only respite that was possible. Uh, once I started going to grad school and reading about these theologians and philosophers that were you know, uh, talking about you overcoming the anxiety of our, of our finitude and, and death and so forth, I became defiant. I spit in the face of death. I was ready to go. Ready to go. <laughs> but now, I'm 34, and I'm finding myself sitting in my therapist's chair describing an acute anxiety that seems to grow each passing year. It certainly doesn't help that, for this very stupid reasons, I started following this Twitter account um, that shows near-death experiences. <laughs> I know, it's, it's awful. It's like, I'll be reading about Trump and then I'll see a video of a semi-truck losing control and a woman with a baby like barely diving out of the way. Or uh, someone is walking down the street uh, under a scaffolding and right when they pass through, the whole thing like collapses, right? <laughs> it's like, yeah, I can't look away. And now I rush through scaffoldings quickly, right? I, I look 90 times before I cross the street. If I, uh, and walking by a construction site, a lot of these are construction-related videos. I, uh, I see like the big crane thing or like the shovel thing and just like imagine it just smashing on me and I like make sure I'm like walk very far away from it, you know? And I tell uh, my therapist about these moments of terror as I experience myself basically imagining my own death. And of course she asks me about my childhood. <laughs> this is what therapists do. And of course, uh, I, look, I, I, therapy is important. We celebrate it here. It's actually, Root and Branch is a place where if you don't go to therapy, you're the weird one. Uh, but that doesn't mean that I, I, I like it all the time. We can, we can confess that, right? Like, we don't all, we may all go to therapy, but it's not like we're like loving it. 
Um, and least of all, I, like, I dislike talking about my childhood. I really don't like talking. Because I'm like, okay, so, you know, yeah, this person was mean to me when I was like five. I get it. Like, what do you want me to do with this information? You know, that's sort of my head too often when I'm thinking about my childhood. But when she asked me this time as I was talking in the context of, of this anxiety of dying, and she asked me to remember times when I was uh, scared uh, of loss or change in my childhood, early childhood. And after a lot of sort of, you know, I don't know, blah, blah, my, I, this memory hit me. I was about five years old. My brother and I are home with my grandmother, and my parents are uh, away in Korea. They're away in Korea. They've been away for months. Contemplating, I, I learned much later, uh, splitting up. They're sort of actually testing it out out there. Uh, so we're just here with our grandmother um, without them. And I remember so distinctly how these repo worker dudes came over, um, you know, had our grandma open up the garage for them and they towed away our family van, our blue Ford Aerostar. You know what I'm talking about? 80s people? Beautiful van. I want to buy one one day. A van I had basically grown up in. It was like another home to me. And this stranger shows up and just takes it. No one told me what, why, or what was happening. I also really hate crying at therapists because it just feels so cliche. But as I was telling her this story, I felt that like tightness. I was like, <clears throat> you know, trying to hold it in. She says to me this thing that um, I think is very interesting. Quoting her, paraphrasing. At such a young age, that kind of thing really affects a child's sense of safety and security in the world. Right? A parent's job is to offer that sort of safety the best they can. But there was no one there for you to say to you, hey, this thing is happening, but it's okay. We're gonna be okay. Change is not the end of the world. We'll get a new car soon. We'll make new memories in that one too. And it's gonna be all right. My first thought after she told me that was like, fuck my mom and dad. <laughs> Thanks mom and dad. I mean, this memory sticks with me uh, because no one told me that, right? No one was there to sort of offer me this, right? Essentially, no one told me in that moment to take heart, right? To have courage. Don't be afraid. I'm here. I'm here. Uh, I've been critical of the metaphor of God as, as parent in the past, but here I think it is actually very apt, right? God, the parent, coming like a ghost in the storm to a little boy, doesn't know what's happening, right? The words of reassurance. Uh, God gets in the boat and then the water's calm. In some ways, I think of this story as a metaphor of, of our minds, right? The storm in our minds. and What is it that comes and calms that chatter, that anxiety, that fear? For me, I'm compelled to believe in this unbelievable thing because it means something to me when I hear those words, right? If I, if I believe those words, I can get out of this boat. Uh, and not just get out, but I can get out and look around, see the storm raging all around me, and still stay above water. Maybe for you, it's not God who can say those words, or it's hard for you to imagine that thing, but who else has given you courage with such words in the past? Who's been a presence for you 
who has brought you some safety and security. I hope everyone has at least one experience they could think of. The Christian habit of mind is to remember such things. Hold on to them. To find courage in them. So today, um, it's really just a bit of a primer. Right? We're setting the stage for this apocalypse when. Uh, I'm excited to see where it goes. Particularly, I think it'll be interesting as we dive deeper into the courage part um, in a couple weeks. But I'll leave you with this to think about, and I hope also do until we meet again. For as uh, potent and powerful is fear's ability to destroy us, there's also uh, this strange way that it's simultaneously flimsy as well, right? Flipping a light switch often does wonders for us. I remember... uh, like I said, when I was scared, I would have trouble going to the bathroom. I would beg my brother to come with me. And when he would relent and sit there as I showered or did whatever, um, I didn't have fear. I, I, felt, I felt great, right? It was kind of amazing. <laughs> kind of amazing how that works. Uh, but I don't mean to tell you in that to simply suggest that we should always travel in twos. I think really the more important part there is the idea of asking ask. If you are a praying person, ask God to be with you, to give you courage that you might not live in fear. If you're not a praying person, try it out. It's my suggestion. (laughs) Ask. Ask people you love and trust to be there with you, to walk with you in your fears. And if people ask you to do that for them, do it for them as well, which is much more difficult because people don't often ask that thing very bluntly. They're not like, hey, I'm really scared and I would like it if you came with me. It's subtle, right? It's couched in other things and wrapped up in stuff and you have to kind of look for it. But if you do, if you're open to it, you'll see the signs. You can see it and be um, that brother in the bathroom for them as well. So I'll end there. Last time again, take heart, do not be afraid. These words that tell us God is here, that we are here together, that you are here for others, I'm here for you. All of that, amen.